0: all right well welcome everybody so glad that you are here joining us online for part of your weekend my name is jeff nicoletti so glad that you are here i just want to tell you welcome home thank you for spending part of your weekend here with us and now listen if you are new maybe this is your first time joining us online we're so glad that you are here just let us know that this is your first time we would love to send you just a little gift for joining us here today there's a button that you can click that says new here we would love to connect with you our online hosts are there to connect with you parents don't forget that we've got special kids' resources and kids' worship experiences available to you. There's another little button that you can hit that says Kids' Worship Experiences. You can click on that, so we have got some age-appropriate stuff for your children. All right, we're jumping in. Movement Part 7. we got a big day today, a big announcement coming towards the end, so stick with me. We're going to jump in, get something to write on, get something to write with. As we continue on in our Movement series, we're going to pick up an Acts chapter 9. And we're going to read a good little chunk of scripture. It'll be there with you. But I want you to follow along with me uh, this, this, this uh, story we're reading this morning. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. Uh, so he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any of those who belonged to the way, so the church... ...whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked and said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless... They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Uh, So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind. He didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias replied, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim that my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, entered it, placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Okay, now here's what I want you to do I want you to to turn to whoever you're with right now and tell them, You are not canceled. Come on, you can do a little bit better than that. Turn to them and say, You are not canceled. Okay, y'all, y'all get a, better get ready to buckle up because we got a lot that we're going to try to get through today. A, a big announcement to get to here at the end. So you better be quick with your notes, ready to roll. Here we go. So we're in Acts chapter 9. It starts pretty much right where we left off in Acts chapter 8. There's a great persecution facing the church, and we find Saul again. Now, if you remember from last week, from part 6 of this series, we got a quick glimpse of Saul as he was literally taking the coats of the men who were killing the apostle Stephen. They they, they dragged him out and stoned him in the street. And it says that Saul was taking their coats, holding it for them, and that he was actually approving of the death of Stephen, one of Jesus' apostles. And so up until now, up until this point, Saul has been living a life that he really believes is righteous and worthy. He believes that in, 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 in imprisoning and in murdering followers of Jesus, that he's defending God. He viewed the church as rebellious, this, this heretical group of people. And so he goes and he gets letters from the religious leaders, uh, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to travel to all the synagogues in Damascus and threaten and imprison anybody proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so he's on his way to persecute and to intimidate the church. Now keep in mind, we've been saying this the, the whole time throughout this series. You have to remember, the church is meant to be a movement. And so we, we, we can't forget that because it's going to help shape our understanding of, of what it means to really follow Jesus, what it means to, to be His church. Cause if, if we miss this, we'll really miss what it is that we're called to do. We'll, we'll really miss what this whole thing is about. Because it's, it's not just about gathering together, but it's about going. It's, it's, it's moving the kingdom of Jesus forward about each and every one of us. Listen, collectively, but also individually having a passion to bring the kingdom of Jesus everywhere we go. And so the, the religious leaders of, of that time really only had one, one recourse. They, they had to stop the church from moving. By, by any means necessary, imprison it, kill it, persecute it, destroy its reputation by, by lying about it. Do whatever they had to do at any cost to stop the forward momentum, the forward movement of the church. Because remember, they thought they killed the movement by killing Jesus, but that didn't work. All, all they really did was just position Jesus and position the church. They thought that perhaps killing Stephen... And scattering the church would stop the movement, but it actually only propelled the church forward. And so Saul is on his way to stop this movement because now the church, the disciples of Jesus, they've now left the city of Jerusalem uh, and they weren't able to stop them there. And so now they're going out into other places to stop the church from moving forward. So we'll pick back up in verse 3. Remember, so he's got the letters. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to go persecute. He's going to drag back prisoners to Jerusalem. Verse 3, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up, go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. And I could literally just preach on those couple of verses today, but, but we can't stay here. We've got more that we've got to do. But something worth mentioning here is the distance that Saul was traveling to get from Jerusalem to where he was going in Damascus. It was about 150 miles on foot. And so this was a, a about a two-week journey, give or take a day or two. And I mention that because it wasn't as though Saul asked for letters in Jerusalem uh, and and had this idea to go persecute and imprison and and likely murder followers of Jesus like in one moment and then was able to turn and do it in the next. It was a literal journey to get to where he was going. And so Saul is on his way to destroy the church. I mean, this dude is, is the worst of the worst. And by the way, those aren't my words. Those are his words. Later on in the New Testament, he, he goes on to call himself the chief of sinners. That like he's the one leading the charge. He was the one that was worse than everybody else. And listen to me, Jesus waits until Saul almost gets to where he's going. Jesus didn't confront Saul in Jerusalem. He didn't confront Saul like a day or two into his journey. He waited until Saul was just about going And getting there just as he was getting in position to do the thing he was going to do. And that's when Jesus shows up. And what I want to tell somebody today is that, listen to me, it does not matter how far you've gone. It does not matter how lost you think you are or how lost you think your son or your daughter or your sibling or your parents or your friends or anybody else in your life. No one is in too deep to encounter the presence and the power and the life of Jesus. It does not matter what you're walking into. Jesus has the ability to show up right in the middle of your mess, right in the middle of your depression, right in the middle of you being the worst version of you that you could be. You might be in the deepest, darkest, loneliest, hardest, most depressed, most anxious, most hurt, most broke season of your life. And it doesn't matter if you intentionally headed in that direction. It does not matter if you willingly chose to be in a deep, dark place, getting ready to make a decision that you know you shouldn't and you wish you wouldn't. Listen to me. Jesus stands with arms wide open to meet you right where you are right now. So listen to me, if you, if you find yourself in a dark place in this moment, maybe by your own choosing or maybe you had no choice in the matter, and you're right now convinced, the enemy has convinced you, it's too late, you missed it, you blew it, you're in too deep, you've gone too far. Listen to me, it's not too dark. Jesus is the light of the world. He can show up and shine life wherever you are. You know, one of my favorite things about this initial interaction with Saul is, is when Saul asks Jesus who he is, he shows up and he says, who, who are you? Jesus' Jesus's answer is that he is the one that Saul is persecuting. Jesus doesn't simply say, hey, Saul, you're, you're persecuting my people or that you're persecuting my church or you're persecuting those that I care about. He said, hey, you're persecuting me. Come on, don't you know that when the enemy comes against you, he's really coming against Jesus? Like, Saul, Saul must have forgotten what his mentor said. Because we read in Acts chapter 5 that one of, the, one of the highest regarded religious leaders, a man named Gamaliel, was someone that Saul actually studied under. And, and they, were, they, they asked him, hey, what should we do about this church? What should we do about these people who are following Jesus? And his advice to them was this. He said, just be careful what you choose to do. Because if this thing that they're doing is of God, you are going to find yourself not fighting against men, but you're going to find yourself fighting against God. So listen to me. When the enemy comes against the church, when the enemy comes against his people, he's actually coming up against Jesus, the one who is the lion and the lamb, the alpha and the omega, the one who commands the wind and the waves, the one who heals blind eyes and deaf ears, the one with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the one who speaks deaf things into life, that when the enemy comes against you, he's coming against Jesus. Jesus hasn't left you to defend yourself. He stands with you. He stands beside you. He he goes before you. He's, he's right in the middle of the battle with you. When the enemy comes at you with fire, Jesus is right there with you. That's what happened to, to, to three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if, if you rewind a little bit and go to the Old Testament, look, Jesus is so fierce, he shows up in the Old Testament. So these three men are living in, in, in the empire, the, the nation of Babylon, and, and, and the king there, Nebuchadnezzar, made a decree and said, hey, whenever music is played, everyone that can hear has to bow down and worship me. And, and so these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down and worship the king. And this made the king so angry. What he decided to do was that he was going to throw these three men into a furnace, and he was so furious, he ordered the furnace to be made seven times hotter than it normally is. It was so hot that the men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego died from being burnt. And so the, the, the three of them are thrown into the furnace, and then the king steps back, and he, and he kind of looks, and then he turns to someone else and he goes, hey, we, we threw three guys in there, right? And they're like, yeah, we threw three of them. And he said, well, well, then why do I see a fourth person in the fire with them? And he's so oblivious, he doesn't even know what's going on. He says, there's not three, but there's four, and the fourth one in there looks like a son of the gods. Because what had happened is that Jesus showed up right in the fire with him. Listen to me. Someone's got to hear me today. The enemy is not just coming against you. you got to know that when all of hell is aligned against you, it's actually lining itself up against Jesus. And he is for you, then hell can't stand against you. Victory is already his. He took the keys from hell. What makes you think that he can stand up against Jesus? And I love it because in this one moment, in this one question, in this one instance, Saul goes from being an enemy of Jesus to becoming obedient to Jesus. And so Saul gets up and he heads into the city. He doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. And in the meantime, Jesus shows up to Ananias in a vision and tells him to go to the house where Saul is, and to pray over him and restore his sight. And that's where I want to pick back up, verse 13. So, so the, the, the Lord shows up to says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go. I want you to pray for Saul. You're, you're, you're going to restore his sight. And I love Ananias' response. Verse 13 says, Lord, um, I've, heard, I've heard all these reports about this man and, and all the harm that, that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He, he's come here with, with authority from the chief priest to arrest all those who call on your name. Now, again, I want you to turn to whoever you're with and say, You are not canceled. Come on, say it again, you are not canceled. Because now, before Ananias has any firsthand experience with Saul, he's already trying to cancel him. Like, like Jesus, don't don't you know what Saul has done? Like you I'm not gonna go pray for him to get healed. Like, haven't you seen what he's done? It's a good thing Jesus didn't inform Ananias that he was gonna use Saul to write most of the New Testament. Because I don't know what Ananias' response would have been if Jesus told him all of that. Ananias is trying to create the original cancel culture right now. Like, like Saul has done all these things. Ha- haven't you seen? Haven't you read? Let me pull up his tweets from a couple of you. Don't you know what he said? You can't possibly heal him or save him, let alone give him a great calling. And listen, this cancel culture has become so prevalent in our world today. The idea that at any point someone could look up your mistake from the past, something you've said, something you've done, something you've posted, regardless of when you said it, if you did it, where you posted it, and bring it to everyone's attention with the hopes of ruining your reputation so that you could be canceled. And honestly this is the this is the same tactic that the enemy has been using since the beginning of time you're not enough look what you've done you're not qualified you won't make it you don't have what it takes if anyone finds out what you did if it, if anybody knew what was hiding in your closet if anybody knew what your secrets were it it it, it, it the, the, Enemy will try to cancel you before you step into your calling. But what you have to understand is that Jesus is not a part of the cancel culture. And thank God that he isn't. Because if 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 someone pulled up my record, if someone pulled up all the decisions that I've ever made, the the mistakes that I've made, the places that I've been, things that I have willingly done, it would be easy to cancel me. Easy to make the case. I shouldn't be standing where I'm standing. But over and over and over again, when you see Jesus encounter people, what how he handles it, how he handles people that everyone else would have preferred to see. Jesus meets a woman who's literally dragged out of bed into the street because she's having an affair to be judged, honestly to be executed. And many of us are familiar with this story, but the religious leaders drag this woman out into the street, and Jesus is there, and really they're wanting to catch Jesus and figure out what he's going to do. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, whichever one of you doesn't have any sin, you be the first to, to throw a stone. And then one by one, each and every person who's there walks and leaves and is not there. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus looks at this woman who's probably at one of, if not the most depressing, horrifying moments in her life. He looks at her and goes, where, where are your accusers? He says, I don't, I don't accuse you either. See, Jesus wasn't interested in, in canceling her. Or one time Jesus was invited to dinner at a, at a religious leader's house and a prostitute finds out that Jesus is, is going to be there. And so she shows up and we read in Luke's gospel that she is so overwhelmed with emotion about being around Jesus that she starts weeping. And literally the tears from her eyes or falling on Jesus' feet, and she takes her hair and she begins to wipe and wash the feet of Jesus and anoint him with oil. And the religious leaders can't stand it. Luke chapter 7, verse 39 says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is. She, look, she's a sinner. Don't you know her record? Haven't you seen what she said and, and what she's done? Like Jesus if, if you knew if you, you you wouldn't let her be around you 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 wouldn't let her be touching you. And then in probably what would be the most absolutely shocking moment for this religious leader Jesus looks at the woman and says, hey, th- this woman whose society has rejected labeled a sinner, labeled a harlot and Jesus says that, hey, she's demonstrated more faith and love than any of you. Or one time Jesus was was passing through a city and and a man named, he he was going through Jericho and a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector hated by everybody, he was a thief. He would steal from everyone, mistreat people but he knew Jesus was coming through and so he wanted to see Jesus and so he climbs up into a tree and as Jesus is passing by, he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to have dinner with you. The man who everybody hated the man who everyone said, Jesus, do you know what he's done? Do you know how he's hurt us, how he's stolen from us, the things that he's done? In fact, they do that. He comes down, and he goes to have dinner with them, and people start murmuring. Saying, "He's Jesus has gone to have dinner with a sinner. <laughs> like, again, Jesus, if you, if you knew who this person was, if I, if I could pull up his old tweets for you and show you what he said and, and what he's done. But after having one meal with Jesus, Zacchaeus says, hey, if I've cheated anybody. Not only will I return what I've taken, I'll return four times what I've done. Because you have to understand, when you have a real encounter with Jesus, it's not just a profession of faith. It begins to change your actions and who you are. But time after time after time, here's what we find out. Jesus is not in the business of canceling people. He's in the business of canceling debt. You see, religion always says, religion says that there's a debt to be paid. And that you've got to work really, really, really hard in order to pay it. Like, hopefully you can be enough and do enough, try harder, do more, follow these rules, stop making these mistakes, and hopefully it'll be enough to get you there, to keep you from getting canceled. But Jesus looked at our debt. He saw what sin had done to me and in my life and he saw the sacrifice and the price that was needed to be paid to restore myself to him and he knew that I could never make it on my own and I could never earn it. And so he stepped out of the riches and the glory of heaven and said my love for you is so fierce. My affection for you is so strong. My grace towards you is so great. My desire to be with you, my Heart to spend eternity with you is so strong. I will walk through hell itself. I will take your place so that you can take mine. Colossians chapter 2 says it this way it says that you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all your sins. Listen, He canceled the record of the charges, He canceled the debt. He took it away by nailing it on the cross. First Peter chapter 1 says it this way. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. To save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And listen to me. You, your debt was not paid with silver or gold, which loses their value, but paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. The value of something, or in this case, somebody is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. And the very son of God was willing to lay down his own life to redeem yours. So we pick back up. Verse 15. So Ananias is trying to cancel Saul. Lord, if, if you knew. Don't, don't you know what he's done? Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hand on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized. And in this, in this single encounter, Saul's life is completely transformed. And he's recommissioned with, with a new purpose, a, a new calling. He's, he's no longer using his passion to stop the movement of Jesus in his church. And he's now a vital part of that movement. You know, it's interesting. Because from Acts chapter 9... We don't see Saul for a couple of chapters. We we read this story in Acts chapter 9 and then we do not see him again until chapter 13. But something interesting takes place when we see him again. Because he's been recommissioned, because he has now stepped into a a new calling, a new purpose, a new season of life, a new chapter. And, and I want to help us remember, remember, because it's going to be important. Jesus told Ananias in that vision, he said, hey, I'm sending Saul, I'm sending this man to be my witness to the Gentiles. I'm sending him to proclaim the gospel to people outside of Israel. And so we read Acts chapter 9 and it's this, it's this defining moment in his life. It's this pivotal moment. And when we see him again in Acts chapter 13 and moving forward, we no longer see him going by the name Saul. Because now he's had, his, he's had hands laid on him. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And the church leaders have sent him out to be a part of the movement of Jesus' kingdom. He's now going by a new name. Because Saul was his Hebrew name. That's how he was known in Jerusalem. What you have to know about Saul is that Saul grew up, I mean, he calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He's got a rich Jewish heritage, and Saul is a great Hebrew name. But he's also at the same time a citizen of Rome, the Gentile world, the the outside world to everybody else. And he was also given a Roman name. His Roman name is Paul and so now that he's left the comfort of his home and he's going out on a new mission and a new calling he chooses to go by a new name that embodies his mission and his calling you know there is something about a name because sometimes when you when you step into a new purpose and into a new calling, and into a new chapter of your life, you get a new name. Take Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. When God first called them, their names were Abram and Sarai. But once they become obedient to the calling of God on their life, and they begin to follow Him, and they start a new purpose, and a new calling, and a new chapter in their life, their name Abram meant exalted father and Sarai meant princess but once they step into their calling God renames them and he renames them Abraham which means the father of many nations which he would become and he renames her Sarah which no longer just means princess but it means my princess so they have a new a new name a new calling a new purpose on the or take Jacob from the Old Testament he was born, and Jacob was the name given to him, and that name means deceiver. And honestly, that's that's how he lived most of his life. He was a deceiver, a manipulator, constantly tricking people to get his own way until he finally responded to the calling of God on his life. And when he does, God renames him and says, Hey, you're no longer going to be called Jacob the deceiver, you're now called Israel. And he ties him directly to the mission and the purpose that God has for him on the earth. But when Jesus first meets Peter, when he first meets Peter, his name isn't Peter. His name is actually Simon. But the moment he meets him, Jesus looks at him and says, hey, you are Simon But from now on, you're going to be called Cephas, which really is translated Peter. And that name means rock. Now, what Peter didn't know in that moment is what that name would mean later on. Because Jesus would go on in Matthew chapter 16 to tell Peter, hey, Peter, you are are the rock on which I am going to build my church. You see, Jesus gave Peter a new name that would define and embody his mission and his purpose and his calling. And so sometimes, church, listen to me, when you step into a new season, when you step into a new calling, when you step into a new moment, a new understanding of of what you're called to be, you get a new name. Now, church, what what I've been dying to tell you, what I've been dying to announce to you all today is that right now we are sitting in that moment. We're in the moment of stepping into a new chapter, a new season, a renewed calling, a renewed understanding of what it means to be followers of Jesus and what it is to be his church. And we've been saying it for weeks now, but the church the local church is called to be a movement of Jesus' kingdom. That we have a going faith, not simply a gathering faith. We were never called to a building, but we were called to be a movement of Jesus' kingdom in our city. So today, today, let's jump wholeheartedly into that renewed calling, that fresh understanding with both feet ready to go. Let's be what Jesus called us to be. Let's be the movement of his kingdom. Are you ready? Here we go. And forever, let this name be a reminder of our calling. Come on, church. Let's step into it. Our new name, our new calling. Come on, church. Say with me. Movement, church. Come on, church. Let that name embody who we are of who we are, that we're a movement, that the church is called. Listen, we're not simply a church, but we're a movement of Jesus' kingdom. Come on, our name is always going to remind us to be moving Jesus' kingdom forward all throughout Central Virginia, bringing heaven here to our neighbors, our streets, our schools, our businesses, to everywhere we go. there's no going back I want to say it so badly to you I wanted to say welcome to movement church earlier but I couldn't but now I can church listen to me let the name be a reminder constantly of our calling our calling is to be a movement Our calling is to see people move from death to life. In Jesus' name. Jesus' church is a movement. Come on, we don't tear down the gates of hell by standing still. We got to be a movement. If we want to see heaven brought here, we got to be a movement. If we want to see people living not only with life eternal, but with life abundant, we got to be a movement. And from now on, from this movement forward, let our name be a reminder of our calling that we will always be a movement of Jesus' kingdom. Come on, church. Let's celebrate today. Here's what I want you to do. Wherever you are, just stand to your feet. We're going to close. We're going to finish. Here's what I want to do. No matter where you are, as we step into a new chapter, a new season, a renewed Understanding of our calling as a movement of Jesus' come on, movement church. You just better get used to saying it. Here's what I want us to do. No matter where you are, maybe this is your first time with us. I'm gonna invite you to be a part right now. Wherever you are, just put your hands up. I want to I want to speak a blessing. I want to speak mission over this church. I want to speak purpose, I want to speak vision and speak life over this church, and by the way, this church is not a building, this church is you, this church is me, this church is your family, and so come on, if we're going to move the kingdom of Jesus forward, we got to be committed to being a movement, to being a church all about bringing the kingdom of Jesus forward, so just receive this with me, Jesus, I pray right now over your church, over this local body, that we would receive a fresh, And anew the calling to be a movement of your kingdom in in our homes and in our neighborhoods and our streets in our businesses in our schools no matter where we go Jesus that we receive and accept the calling of your spirit to be a movement of your kingdom We're not simply called to gather, but Lord, we're called to go. We're not simply called to just be here, but Jesus, we're called to go kick down the gates of hell wherever we go. So for every person, under the sound of my voice, I pray for fresh life, fresh vision, fresh calling, fresh purpose. Lord, help us to be movement church, a movement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, I pray. I pray that this will be a pivotal turning point, not just in the life of this church, but perhaps in the life of your faith or in the life of your family, that maybe you've been satisfied with just a gathering faith, But maybe today you know and you recognize that you don't just have a gathering faith, you've got a going faith. You've got a moving faith that when you're planted in God's house, you're called to bring his kingdom everywhere you go. So come on, church, let's be a movement. Let's be a movement. Let's let's keep moving Jesus' kingdom forward. Let's have our name be a reminder of what we're called to be and what we're called to do. But right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close the same way we always do with an opportunity for you to give your tithes and your offering. Now listen, if you're if you're new with us, we don't want anything from you. In fact, we just hope that this worship experience has been our gift to you. But if you call this church, if you call movement church your home, all we ever ask that you should ask Jesus what you should give, and then just be obedient. Because we know that on the other side of obedience, there's blessing for you and for your family. Just listen, there's, there's two really easy ways that you can give. You can give online or through our app. You can also give right from your smartphone. You can text the amount you want to give to 84321. And then just follow the prompts for right there. Now, church, come on. We need you to, listen, if we're going to be a movement, listen. The only way that we can be a movement in our city is when God's people are generous. And so I want to I encourage you to continue to be faithful, consistent, and generous so that we can continue to partner with people, to provide meals, to give out clothes, to go and help people, meet them and bless them and lift them up in this season that we're all walking through together. Because when you are faithful, consistent, and generous, the church can be faithful, consistent, and generous. Right where you are, just put your hands. I'm going to speak a blessing over us as we as we close today. Jesus, I pray that right now your very presence would go before your people, would surround them. Anybody walking through pain or difficulty would know that you are with them. Holy Spirit, that you would fill your people and embolden, and empower, and equip them. And Heavenly Father, that you would cause your good face to shine upon us and to give us rest and peace until we gather together again in Jesus' name. Church, we love you. We miss you. Can't wait to be with you. Come on, Movement Church. Stay connected with us. We love you. We'll see you all soon. Have a great week.